Hey guys, and welcome to the Coffee and Turner Syndrome podcast. My name is Brooke. Pour yourself your favorite cup of coffee, and let's hop into today's episode. So you may be wondering why there's a podcast episode coming out on a day that is not a Wednesday, (laughs) and I wanted to take this opportunity to give a little bit of an extra episode. Um, If you have been watching my channel, you probably knew this was coming at some point. I am really excited to shift into doing a few more episodes a week here on the podcast. So I want to start doing two episodes each week instead of just the one that I have been doing. And I still want to have my main Wednesday episodes be more informational and things like that. Um, But I do want to take that extra episode a week and kind of just have fun with it, whether it be talking about things that are going on. Mental health stuff is always huge on my mind. So there's definitely an opportunity for that. Um, I could go on forever about talking about a million different mental health topics. I kind of just want to take that opportunity to talk a little more personally at different points and really connect and share in that way here on the podcast. This is going to be another episode that is only a podcast episode and there won't be a video version of it. I wanted to take some time today to chat about some of the comments we can get when we are talking to somebody about our infertility journey and just some of the statements we get. Specifically, I want to talk about one that is common, um, that can be really particularly difficult, especially if you understand the complications that are very common in an adoption journey. Um, So specifically, I want to talk about when people around you or those that you discuss your infertility journey with can say you can always adopt. It's well-meaning. They have good intentions. They do not mean to diminish the pain of infertility at all. They don't they don't mean it in any of the ways the raw emotion can make it feel. So I want to give two kind of contexts for this. I want to talk about how we process the statements we get, particularly that one, um, as the person that is going through infertility. And then I want to give a little context for those that might say that statement, you can always adopt, as to why that is not always a simple cut and dry answer and tell a little bit of our story with that. So first, how we can respond as those going through infertility. I think in those moments, it's so, so important to remember that those people have good intentions when they say that. They're, they're very well-meaning. They have all the good intention in the world. And they 
honestly are coming from a position of wanting to help, wanting to provide a solution, wanting to provide some kind of relief for that pain that they know we're feeling. It is not a pain somebody not going through it can fully understand. It is something that is a very unique to that experience experience. <laughs> and particularly if it is infertility, like those of us that have Turner syndrome deal with, it is not one that is easily addressed by the common infertility treatments. So our options are really limited, um, which makes it an even more complicated situation and a conversation with others that we have to approach with even more grace for those comments we can get. They're well-meaning. They don't know their particulars all the time. They may not know everything we do about the situation and they are honestly wanting to just help. And while you're going through that raw emotion, it can feel really, really hard to remember that to take it with any kind of grain of salt or to see it through the vision of it it's well-meaning and and they're saying it with love they're saying it in trying to reach out to us in trying to help in trying to meet us where we're at and ease that pain for us a lot of people have trouble talking about the pain of infertility with others. And so when they do have that conversation, they can be even more sensitive to the comments they get back when having those conversations. And it can be something that is hard on both sides where somebody that's not going through it doesn't know how to respond. It is not something that's easy for those around us to respond perfectly or to really grasp everything that we may be going through and that's important to remember and it's it's also important to remember when we're responding because then we can help guide them into what we need so the best response for comments we get is being very direct and intentional about what we need from them that doesn't mean We have to divulge a million details if we don't want to. If this isn't a person you're comfortable doing that with, definitely don't. But if it is, great. If you feel like that'll help and you are wanting to, go for it. I think that's good. Um, If it's not, it can be as simple as saying, you know, that's that's really sweet. Um, Thank you. Um, We do know that's valuable. Um, and kind of direct them into what we do need. So I have just really been helped by you listening and understanding. And that I feel like has been the thing I've needed the most through all of this. And instead of reacting from a place of feeling hurt. That way they know moving forward what we need from them. We, we don't need that kind of advice maybe we 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 don't need a laundry list of all of our other options besides natural conception we don't you know 
We don't need all of these articles thrown at us about different studies that have been done and options we could try. We really just need somebody to listen, maybe. Or we really just need somebody to pray with us or let us vent to them or be there physically with us while we're going through these things. There are a million different things support-wise you can need. And maybe you do want those articles. Maybe you do want that advice. Maybe you are looking for that. But making sure that you're clear in that can help those conversations go smoother. Um, And it, it can be done in a very nice way, but also very direct. So there's no question about what you're asking for and what you need and how they can actually help you if you're if they're really wanting to help you. Um, so responding that way can be productive and constructive and healthy. And well, it's not always easy. Um, sometimes we do need to kind of take a breather and maybe circle back to that instead, but it can be just really helpful for approaching in general, those conversations we tend to have when the conversation of infertility comes up with somebody or when they ask about how things are going when when that happens having that in our mind having that in our toolbox of tools to help us respond can be really important um so just some things to think about now i wanted to Give a little bit of context for those that might say, particularly the statement, you can always adopt. This is one that's hard for me. Not because I don't think adoption is an amazing, beautiful, wonderful thing. Um, Obviously, we are adopting. We are in the process of working through adoption through foster care. Um, We are on our journey to adopt through foster care. We are waiting for our first placement, but it is not always as simple of an answer as people think. Um, And I did not even know how complicated of an answer it can be until we dove deeper into that process. We went through a lot to get where we're at right now. We went through years of pushing through paperwork, of pushing through house projects to have the house pass a home study. Um, We went through a very long process. We have a whole video dedicated to it on my channel. And in total, it was about three years, two and a half, three years of struggling through everything. And at the beginning of this year, we got our official approval that we were certified as foster parents and we have been on the waiting list ever since and um, we are currently on the waiting list for ages zero to two just because of the limitations of our space that we have and we are open for like literally almost any kind of placement we're open for concurrent foster care we're open for emergency placement um and we're also open for adoption so we are also getting the adoption books each month from our agency worker that um 
keeps in contact with us over what children are popping up available and things like that. So we have quite the journey we've gone through and it just always gets me excited again to remember where we're at every time we get that each month and there's conversations about it. It's like, oh my gosh, it's so exciting to finally be at this point. But I want to give a little bit of context to what adoption can look like because it's not actually as simple as people think. Um, We did have a very unique situation. So that is not to say that ours is what every circumstance could look like. Ours was a particularly complicated one. But there are a few elements of it that are very common and just things in general that you don't find out till you're going through the process. Um, or you listen to stories of people that have gone through the process of what can pop up and what it actually entails to go through adoption in different forms. And that can be whether it's traditional private or foster care or adopting at different ages all of it varies and can bring unique situations that aren't always simple ones there's always risk involved no matter which way you adopt and some involve more risk than others but all of them involve risk all of them involve putting yourself out there in a way that can be really scary and overwhelming and you also have to look at the cost. Infertility treatments are extremely expensive and adoption fees can be very expensive also. So the first two types of adoption I want to talk about are not the ones we're doing but I want to talk about some of the complications that come up with it. Um, So Particularly, traditional adoption is what most people think of. It's a private adoption facilitated through either a private adoption agency or an attorney of some kind. In some way, you are put into the pool of potential parents, a expecting mother or couple um, look at profiles And you either get picked or you don't. If you get picked, then you are excited and looking forward to it and it's great. Until you sign those papers, you are always at risk of them changing their minds. Even till the day of birth. Um, Papers are not signed. And the adoption is not finalized until then. And until that happens, the parent has the ability to change their mind. So you can have a nursery already. You can be in contact with them. They could be at the hospital giving birth and spent months talking to you and then change their mind. And this baby that you've been expecting for months is no longer going to be yours. And you have to go through that process of grieving that, of going home without them and going home to an empty nursery, an empty crib, um, to explaining to everybody that it fell through and it didn't work out and they changed their mind. 
um, there is loss in that. There is major loss in that. And it is something that you know is possible. And people go into it expecting it. Um, expecting it is a possibility at least. Not expecting it to happen. But knowing it's a possibility. And that doesn't make it any easier. That doesn't mean it hurts any less or is any less of a loss. And then you have to get the courage up to put yourself out there again and try again. Um, and then you have international adoption, which is where you <laughs> are working with a foreign country that you don't know very much about, probably to start with at least, that you may or may not have ever been to, that you may or may not know the language of, and working within their culture, working with different languages, different ways of doing paperwork potentially, um, the time differences, the time for processing things, all of that. And then you still have that added risk of things could fall through. They could block you at the last minute. They could, there could be something that went wrong with that also and it not go through. Um, international adoption is also even more expensive than traditional domestic adoption because of all of the fees between the countries. Um, and then before any of that, in either of those scenarios, you have a stack of paperwork that you have to work through. Um, filling things out, getting documents, getting files to whoever needs it, paying attention to a long list of all the paperwork you have to get done. Um, and it is a thick stack of paperwork. It is not a little. There is a lot of paperwork involved, a lot of details, a lot of making sure that you have everything filled out correctly so you don't have to do it again, keeping records as much as possible. Um, all of that gets complicated. And the the way we are doing adoption that I want to talk about now involves a specific type of paperwork that can be difficult. Um, and I have to honestly say I don't know how intense it is with traditional domestic adoption or international adoption. Um, I think there is some element of it, but I, I, being very honest, do not know how it compares to what we had to fill out or go through. Um, because after all the paperwork, you have the home study. And the home study happens in all three scenarios. Um, we are doing foster care adoption. So we are adopting through the foster care system, which comes with its own unique challenges in a lot of ways. One of the benefits is adopting through foster care is extremely, extremely affordable. All we have had to pay for so far has been obviously getting <laughs> the supplies for a placement, but um, also just our fingerprints and background checks and things like that, um, which was not very expensive. And we actually will get reimbursed for once we have a placement. So it's extremely affordable. There are also thousands and thousands of kids 
in the system that need a good home, whether it's a temporary placement or an adoption placement. And it is worthwhile. (laughs) Um, The system is overwhelmed and they need good foster families. So that being said, the part I want to talk about it that can be really complicated and intense um, was for us, not really the paperwork, not really the classes, it was the home study. Um, And for the paperwork aspect of it, which again is what I'm not sure how intense it compares, how the intensity of it compares to international or domestic, um, is how detailed they are with your background. When you're dealing with kids in the foster care system, they come from a whole lot of different backgrounds. They come with often life experiences that greatly impacted them. They come with a lot of trauma and loss. And so a lot of the paperwork for becoming a foster parent or adopting through foster care is getting to know you and your background and your history to be able to discern how you would do in that scenario um, because of how much they deal with that and how prevalent issues are. Um, So they ask a lot of detailed questions about your relationships and your history of different things and how you dealt with it and things like that. Your marriage, if you're married, they ask a lot of very detailed questions. But when put in context, you can tell why they're asking. You really divulge a lot. You you basically give them enough information to write your whole life story. And our caseworker that was writing our home study actually told us that the goal of the interviews she did with us was to be able to write a book of us. And so she just had to get to know us really well. And there was specific things and Um, It was both on paper and talking in person, and it was a lot. It was a lot of personal history to go through. Um, It was also a lot of looking at how we would handle different trauma situations. So there was that aspect of it. And then there was jumping through the hoops of making sure the house would pass a home study. Usually this is not as complicated of a process as it was for us. We had some particular house projects that were needed. Um, We had our own unique situation with certain things. But making sure everything would pass was in some ways, while much simpler, others much more complicated and just in general complicated or not it was anxiety inducing for me I'll be honest I was cleaning like a crazy person (laughs) the night before like it was it was intense trying to look around and think is there anything that they're not going to approve of because you don't want to have them come and then have to have them come back and fix things if you don't have to now they can do that but Obviously, that's not ideal. You wanted a 
one and done, you're, <laughs> you're past, you're good on that. It can be a process of going through things. And I could tell in the conversations we have with them, it was not uncommon for them to give notes on change these things and then we'll be back. And it was like, oh, okay. So the process for that is not easy either. Adoption in general is not a simple thing. And so when you say statements like you can always just adopt, well, that's not any less complicated of a choice, really. Like, yes, it's a choice. Um, it's a choice that doesn't involve the physicality that infertility treatments would as far as dealing with medications and surgeries and all of that. But emotionally, it's not any complicate, any less complicated of a choice. And it can be a really tough journey. Um, when we get our first placement, it will not be an immediate relief of that complication because the case could change at any second. Even a placement that is for adoption. So it's a less risky placement, right? Like the kids that are in the adoption book are the least risky as far as potential for reunification. Certainly in comparison to concurrent um, or emergency, especially. However, there is no saying that that will not shift and they won't end up being reunified. There is no telling, once again, until those court hearings happen, until that paperwork is signed, that they will actually for certain, stay with you. So you will always have that. I, at least I know I will, always have that in my mind that that's still a potential until that happens. And that's scary. And that's not uncomplicated emotions. It's a hard journey. So I don't say all of these things to deter you from suggesting adoption to anybody at all. Adoption is a beautiful and amazing thing and I am so grateful for it and I am so excited we are where we're at with it and it's just I am extremely blessed by it and very grateful for it. I just wanted to give that context that it is not a just adopt kind of thing. Um, you don't just adopt. <laughs> It is not that simple and anybody that's gone through that process will know and will tell you it is it is not a simple thing. So even if that is the choice they make, they will still need your support. They will still have grieving to do. They will still have emotions to work through. It is not going to be the thing that cures their infertility pain. It gives them options. It is not a cure. And in fact, that is what any adoption worker, I think, will tell you is it's a beautiful way to grow your family. It's an incredible, amazing way to grow your family. But if you're looking to it to cure your pain from infertility, that is not the way you do it. It will, it will not cure that if you don't work through those emotions and... In fact, it can bring more of that out 
Um, it can add more because it has its own emotions that regardless of infertility or not being your reason, no matter what your reason is, it's going to add that. And that's important to know going into it, once again, not to make it sound scary and like you shouldn't suggest it or like it's not a good option. Absolutely it is. But there's also a lot to think about with it and there's complications that come with it also. So I hope that made sense. I hope if you are on one of those ends of the conversation, this helped you think things through a little bit with these conversations that we naturally have when we're either the person going through infertility or somebody in our life is going through infertility. Um, It's not easy conversations. And so we on both sides of the conversation have to really approach it with grace and love and a whole lot of understanding and patience Um, and just the willingness to just be there with that person. The ability to just sit with someone in that moment, even if you don't, you don't say anything can be really valuable. I hope I hope this made sense. I hope this helped. And I hope this also gave you guys a little insight into our journey. Um, If you haven't checked out that video, it's on my channel. If you were looking for a little bit of an update, we're still in the same position we've been in. So we got certified in the beginning of the year. Um, We have talked to the intake person a few times. She's lovely. She's very sweet. She's very excited for us. (laughs) She's very, very nice. And we are waiting for our first placement still. Everything shut down (laughs) right after we got certified. So we, we had quite the delay where things were shut down for a couple of months in the very beginning. But Things have been open. We've been having conversations. And so the line of communication has stayed open, but nothing has panned out yet. Um, We haven't gotten our first placement yet. I pray soon, but we will, you know, just see what happens. Um, And yeah, that's where we're at. And we're just really excited. So I hope you enjoyed this and I hope it helped you in some way. Um, if you follow me on Instagram, I would love to hear your thoughts and experiences if you've gone through similar things. Um, and yeah, I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day and I'll talk to you guys next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Coffee and Turner Syndrome. If you would like to support the podcast, I do have listener support set up on Anchor. And if you'd like to leave me a voice message, I would love to hear from you. Don't forget, you can find the video version of this podcast on my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash brooktv. Make sure you're subscribed so you see when the next one comes out. And I will see you guys in the next episode.